Welcome to Dream Up by Burdock, a weekly podcast show connecting you with inspiring Asian American creatives by exploring what they do and the paths that got them there. This is Dream Up. Hi, this is Peter Ashley. Today I'll be speaking with Sue S. Chan. Sue is the founder of Care of Chan, a food culture agency specializing in creative brand marketing, talent representation, and event production. Named one of Observer's most powerful restaurant PR firms in 2018 and 2019, Care of Chan has worked with a wide range of clients, both in and outside of food. Hello, hello. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm good. I'm in London right now. Um, It's a sunny day today, which I don't know if you know much about the poor English weather, but it became quote unquote winter a couple days ago. So it's going to probably be gray and dreary for the next uh, several months. But um, today is a beautiful day. So can you just start by introducing yourself and telling us what you do? Yes. So my name is Sue Chan. I run an agency that represents uh, chefs, restaurants, and food brands. It's called Care of Chan. Started it about four years ago after I left Momofuku, where I was the brand director, and worked there for about seven years. So can you tell us a little bit about the scope of the work you do at your company? Yeah, so we do creative brand marketing services. So anything from, you know, marketing campaigns to activations to PR, event production and talent management. So we have three departments, brand marketing, talent management and event production. Right. So the clients will approach you and kind of ask for your help for the 360 service or how does it usually work? I would say, I mean, I have to admit people in the food space, I think because the industry is relatively new compared to most other industries, new in that there aren't a lot of businesses around the industry. Uh, Like for instance, if you look at the music industry, not only are there the musicians, but there's everything that's related to that, right? So like the record labels, sound engineers, like, like there's just so many layers that surround other industries and the food industry is just starting to grow in that way. And so I think Previously, a chef, you know, might gain a little bit of notoriety and realize, oh, I'm getting all of these inbound press opportunities. I need someone to like help me sort through those. I need someone to help me with press. And so I think a lot of agencies that started before us were mostly food PR agencies. But as the world evolves and as marketing your brand and promoting anything evolved, our services and the needs of chefs also evolved with it. So we definitely do offer more of a 360 um, scope of work these days, just because, you know, it's not just PR that we're looking after, right? It's not just media relations. It's a lot more than that. It's understanding what events chefs should participate in, understanding, you know, what brand endorsements they should participate in and how that affects their brand now. And and what does it mean for their brand later? You know, what should they be communicating on their social media? So not every single chef and restaurant necessarily needs an agency like ours, but we are trying to work with people who kind of are looking to grow in this larger way in this new world. And can we go back and can you walk us through your journey of how you got to this place? Yeah. So I I grew up around a lot of food. I'm half Taiwanese, half Malaysian. So food has just always been like a big part of my life as I'm sure most Asians know, especially in <laughs> ethnicities, like food just plays a huge role, right? Like Taiwan's known for their night markets. We invented 
boba tea, which actually, you know, is part of like the whole tradition of like going to tea houses and, you know, socializing with friends over tea and snacks and small plates. Um, So yeah, so food has just always been like a huge part of my upbringing. Like I even wrote my college essay about food. I wrote my senior thesis in college about food. And when I was in college, after reading Michael Pollan's book, Omnivore's Dilemma, I decided I wanted to get into food activism and help save the world through food. What did you study during college? I was a sociology major. And so my thesis was about food deserts, so low-income neighborhoods that have poor access to good food. Um, so it was just a study comparing... I, I went to Barnard, which is Columbia's all-women's school in Morningside Heights on the Upper West Side area. And so I compared food access in the Upper East Side compared to East Harlem um, and how that affected obesity rates. And it's very you know, commonly known at this point that lower income neighborhoods have higher rates of obesity. And my whole thesis was that it was due to poor access to good food. And I mean, it's been incredible to see that since then, you know, lower income neighborhoods now have access to farmer's markets and farmer's markets take food stamps. And when I wrote my thesis, like none of that had happened. So it's, it's good to see that the world does progress and that things change slowly, surely. Yeah. You wrote thesis on food and then what happened after college? Yeah. So I wrote my thesis on food. And so I was pretty adamant about getting into the food nonprofit world. And so I worked at Food Bank for New York City for a couple of years in the external relations department. So oversaw fundraising events, public relations, kind of how to make sure that our mission was out there in the world so people understood what we were doing on a daily basis so that they could hopefully help us by donating or supporting the cause. Um, so Food Bank for New York City is a hunger relief organization that feeds, um, at that time, it was a quarter of a million New Yorkers every single day through food pantries, soup kitchens, and other food assistance programs. Right. And then what was next for you after that? Well, so in college, I had my first experience in a restaurant. I worked in the kitchen of the Spotted Pig. My senior year, when I was working on my thesis, I took a cooking class. The cooking class then set me up with an externship at the Spotted Pig. In the food world, an externship is an internship in the kitchen. I worked there for about a month and a half, and I just loved it. I, I loved being in restaurants. And so after a little bit of time at the food bank, I realized that I actually want to get back into the restaurant industry because I, I just loved the camaraderie in a restaurant, you know, the front of house and the back of house and just like the culture, it's like a family. And it was just people from all walks of life as well. And and there was no, I don't know, just everyone had all different kinds of backgrounds. It was super eclectic, super diverse. It was just like a really exciting, fast paced, interesting place to be. And yeah, and I wanted to get back into that. So I was just applying to all sorts of restaurant jobs after the food bank and then got an interview with Momofuku to be the chef's assistant. So at your externship, were you actually in the kitchen working or what were your duties? Traditionally, I'm sure rules are going to change because of all of the social movements that have happened, you know, in the last couple of years. But at the time, most restaurants have quote unquote interns who come and help them with prep work because most dishes at a restaurant take a lot of prep work and you have to make so much of it, right? And so it requires lots of hands and lots of hours. And so a lot of the cooking schools would provide interns to restaurants um, to help them with all of this work, right? Because 
you know, your salad that looks super simple, you know, has a dressing, it has toppings, it has vegetables that have to be peeled, toppings that have to be cooked, dressings that have to be made. And so every single morning I would go to the Spotted Pig and make, I don't know if you've ever been there, but they have this dish called Devils on Horsebacks. It's a prune wrapped in bacon with like an almond inside and then they roast them. And it's so delicious. It's like this sweet, salty flavor bomb. And so every single morning I would make like hundreds of those. (laughs) I would just like take a prune that had been soaked in tea, stuff an almond in it and then wrap it in bacon and then do that over and over and over and over again. I also was responsible for making, well, they had, I think that they closed now, but RIP, very sad, but you know, justified. They also had a lemon tart that I would make every single morning. So those are my two tasks, which, you know, yeah, it's, it was hard work and you're on your feet always, but not as hard of work as the people who actually work service at night. Cause at that point at night, when service is going, you're in a hot kitchen and like orders are being called out and at a restaurant like the spotted pig. And I worked there in its heyday. It was super slammed and busy. And, you know, not only would the restaurant be packed, but it'd be very high. It'd be a lot of influential people in the food world and culture and everything. So yeah, just a lot of pressure and a lot of hours on your feet. But I just worked during the day doing prep work. But it was really fun. I mean, you, yeah, they say that the reason why cooking provides so much pleasure for people is that you get into this zone called the flow where your brain is able to like essentially shut off. And it's almost like a meditative experience. So not only did I learn about the restaurant through that experience, but I also kind of, I don't know, every single morning would be able to like get into the flow and it was, uh, it's very meditative. And that flow refers to when you're preparing the food? Yeah, exactly. Where you're, when you're cooking or, you know, in my case, when I was making like hundreds of double on horseback. <laughs> I couldn't bacon for a while after that. I was like... So tell us about your time at Momofuku. Yeah, it was incredible. When I was there, the restaurant group was growing rather rapidly. And it was also the time in which the food industry was really starting to blossom. And it was just a really exciting time. I mean, a lot of you know sociologists and food writers now call that past era, the golden era of dining. And yeah, it was just exciting to not only have been in the industry during the golden era of dining, but been at a restaurant group like Momofuku during that time. Because you know, Dave is definitely a genius and will go down in history as one of the greatest, most innovative chefs in, you know, culinary history. And so, yeah, it was just a really, really exciting time and place to be. It was definitely like running a marathon on a treadmill that was like set at, you know, level nine, but <laughs> it, was, it was a great experience. Yeah. And what were your responsibilities there? What I did there is very similar to what we do now at the agency. So PR and marketing special events, really working alongside Dave and helping him with all of his stuff and then helping launch and open restaurants while I was there. So I helped open Momofuku Siebo in Sydney and then the Momofuku Toronto Project. At what point did you decide to launch your own agency? Yeah, well, so because of Dave, because of you know his peers at that time and his contemporaries and because we were going through a golden age, of restaurants and food, this entire food industry started to blossom, right? And, you know, when I when I first started at Momofuku, Thomas Keller, who's this fine dining chef, he has this restaurant called Per Se and the French Laundry, very, very fine dining. 
he was on one side of the spectrum, right? It was either like you could be in fine dining or the other side of the spectrum was David Chang, which was this more casual punk rock restaurant experience, right? And, you know, during my time at Momofuku, this like prism around the spectrum started forming, right? And it wasn't just... And now these days, I feel like Thomas Kelly and Dave Chang are on one side and like Layla Gohart, who's one of our collaborators, who's a food artist, is like on completely other side. And then all in between and all these like avenues of the prism, there's like farmers and there's butchers and there's food writers and, you know, all these people who, yes, they all did once exist prior to, you know, me starting at Momofuku. But during my time and during this golden era of food, that was very much the last, you know, 10 to 12, 15 years, people started taking notice and caring about these people, right? And caring about, you know, you could be a butcher from Italy. Um, and there is one, his name is Dario. I forgot his last name off the top of my head, but he he's like very well known. And he's very much a personality. Like, I, I don't think that he would have had an international stage 10 years ago, 15 years ago, let alone, you know, 20 years ago. So that was really exciting to me. And so I wanted to go and explore and just see what else was out there and who else I could work with and just see how else I could help grow the industry. I think, you know, my personality and kind of what my forte is, it's really good for up and coming talent. So people who are starting to figure out what their point of view is, but need help getting from point A to point B and kind of leveling up in their career. And I work very well in that space. And by the time, you know, seven years later, after my first Amo Fuku, Dave was already to a certain point where, yeah, I, I just felt like it was time for me to leave. So in your opinion, what would you credit? Like, what do you think changed that brought all the chefs to the fore of kind of mainstream media? Yeah. So a couple of things. I mean, just like any movement, it's right time, right place, right? For, for everyone and everything. A couple of things were happening. So one, the recession had just hit, right? So the recession, I think one of the, you know, the results of that happening, obviously there are many, but one of them is that consumers started spending their money differently. So no longer could people afford a mortgage or afford to save up for a car. And because of that, you know, they started spending their money differently. Where they start channeling that money, they start channeling it to experiences. They start channeling it to dining because spending money on food and restaurants was a way to exercise your status as well as, you know, ha- have an experience. And so I think people just started wanting something more out of the money that they spent and restaurants were providing that for them. So not only could you show off your status by knowing what the hot new restaurant was and, oh, I got into this restaurant or, yeah, did you not hear about this like new wine? Like it was a way to exercise your status, but that was actually affordable, right? Whereas you couldn't really spend that on a home or a car or even designer goods. And so that was a big reason why I think restaurant culture blossomed. Another reason is at the same exact time, you have the internet, right? That um, And on the internet, food blogging started being becoming really big. And the idea of like taking a photo and posting it on Instagram, that was also starting to become a thing. And so food bloggers, in order to get more eyeballs on their content, needed 
spokespeople or rock stars to cover, right? People who were going to make this industry exciting. And then at the same time, you do have some of these chefs who are super exciting, Dave Chang being one of them and super quotable, right? It's like you interview Dave and he's like throwing F-bombs and like people like start obsessing over that. And they're like, whoa, this man is so cool. Like he's one of us. And it's this like populist kind of like, whoa, this guy is one of us. Yet he's like super punk rock says what he wants to say and like that's so cool right and and he wasn't the only one right a movement doesn't happen in a silo a movement happens with like a lot of things bubbling up at the same time and he's not the only one right you have chefs like this all over the world and so the internet kind of provides them this platform so you got these two things kind of converging and happening at the same time and then you've also got just really you know food has always been super political and culturally relevant, right? Because we eat food three times a day and food is still to this day, probably going to be the last thing that you can download on the internet. It still holds the sacred place. And yeah, so all of those things happening kind of just made people really care about food. And then because of that, it just is like a, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy in a boulder that just keeps on rolling down the hill and collecting moss. And then all of a sudden you've got this like, epic industry and food then becomes like the coolest thing ever. But at the same time, I think prior to COVID, the market had gotten super saturated and it'll be interesting to see how COVID affects the restaurant industry going forward, but it's definitely going to evolve and pivot and we'll have to take like a couple steps back in order to really move forward in a better way. Yeah. Because, you know, just as a consumer, I would say only in the past five to 10 years have I felt like chefs have become celebrities in the mainstream, right? 100%. And, you know, obviously along the way, there have been people who have said things, done things, made things that have been revolutionary, not just in food, but just in culture, right? Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan is a perfect example, right? He wrote, I don't know if you've read that book, but the thesis of the book is that corporate farms and and U.S. farm subsidies result in the overproduction of commodities like corn, which then get turned into corn syrup, which then is put into all this, you know, majority of food in the country, and it's making all of us fat and unhealthy. And that, I think, really inspired people to care about what they put in their body and read labels. And I think that that played a big role in the farm to table organic movement, right? People started caring about what it was that they were eating. And so, you know, that happened in the last like 20 years. And then you also have people like Tony Bourdain that happened as well, right? He was essentially like an anthropologist slash sociologist, right? Talking about insider baseball stuff about what this industry was going through and the culture. And and that was exciting to people, right? Because it was this whole new part of life that no one knew about. And so if you're starting to care about eating out and then you read about the chefs and the people that are behind it, that's super exciting, right? And so it glorifies them. It makes them this rock stars. It puts them on these pedestals and essentially like then all of a sudden you have these gods in this industry. And so people just carry it more into this like perpetuating thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a really exciting time for sure to be in food. Can you describe some of the biggest challenges you faced while building your career? Oh gosh. The biggest challenges... Gosh, there's always so many challenges, right? (laughs) I think ultimately, I would say now that I'm older and wiser and a lot more confident in my professional ability, looking back, I would say it's me not believing in myself 
I think when I was younger, I would think that it was people not believing in me, but really it's me not believing in myself. I mean, as they say, it's so cliche, but it's so true. You are your worst enemy, right? So I think obviously having, you know, being humble is helpful and I think healthy, but there's kind of a fine balance between that and confidence in going after something that, that you deserve and that, that you are capable of making happen. And what tips or advice do you have for someone wanting to pursue a similar career as yours or someone wanting to go into the food industry? I think for what I do, because these days, well, actually it's changing. So prior to COVID, most of our clients were chefs and restaurants. Since COVID happened, obviously, then as we all know, the entire restaurant industry was like decimated overnight. And along with that, most of our work and our clients and our revenue. But now as we onboard new clients, it's shifting from being mostly chefs and restaurants and now CPG products and, and food businesses, not necessarily like restaurants, which is, I, I think, interesting. Sorry, what's a CPG business? Uh, consumer packaged goods. So like Sir Kensington's, which is like a condiment brand. That's a consumer packaged good. So like a food product that you would find in a grocery store. So I guess from my career prior to COVID, when I was in restaurants, I would have advised people to experience working at a restaurant, like work front of house, work back of house. My experience working at the Spotted Pig and also at Momofuku allowed me to see the world through the lens of a chef and through a restaurant owner. You know, I understood and I had empathy for what chefs went through and that really helped me do my job better. And so I guess, you know, for any other industry, it's like, there's a lot of value experiencing things from the ground up. And I think if you want to get in and you're finding it difficult or it's like a complete career change, and let's say you you know, came from something totally different like fashion and you, and no, no one's answering your emails and no one wants like get a job at a restaurant. What's exciting about restaurants is that the barrier to entry to getting a job at a restaurant is really low. You know, I mean, these days it's probably more competitive, but pretty much anyone can be a host, right? As long as you're like friendly. <laughs> and so just that experience and having that point of view, I, I think is just super valuable and a great way to get your foot in the door. And the other thing is just really knowing the history of the restaurant industry. It always makes me a little bit sad when, you know, people that we work with don't know where things came from, you know, or, or don't know about trends. Or when I talk about the golden era of dining, they like have like a blank look on their face. You know, it's like, I think it's so important. As they say, it's important to know our history so that we don't repeat our same mistakes. But it's not even that. It's more just, you can't iterate and grow and innovate an industry unless you know kind of what came before you, right? And obviously, I think knowing too much has its problems too, because it maybe confines you into a box. But I think having and knowing the basics of what came before you is really helpful to figuring out what can come next and how to be creative in that space. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's nothing new. (laughs) The only thing new that's happening right now for us is technology, right? Everything else in culture is not new. It's just an iteration of what has come before us, but done better. If anything, you should learn what came before you to get inspiration. And creativity is just doing something that someone else did, but better. So what would be your last meal? Oh my goodness, my last meal. That's so, it's it's hard, right? Because it's like, what's my budget? Like, is it unlimited? Is it anything I want? Unlimited budget. You know, I, I just made myself 
this for lunch, which is like maybe one of my favorite things, but just like a really good solid BLT with like really good bacon, a local tomato from the summer, like an heirloom, like one of those big like beefsteak ones on just like really, really good bread. There are a lot of amazing bakeries here in London. And I had this sunflower seed loaf from this relatively new bakery called Dusty Knuckle. It was just like so incredible and just like really good lettuce. (laughs) That's what I want for my last meal. (laughs) Thanks so much for chatting with me. Oh, of course. Of course. Thank you to Mark Redito for the music. Please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And join us next week on Dream Up.